when Kate and I were first dating, she, uh, she did a beautiful thing for me. She made this giant plate of cookies for me, and she brought them to my house, and she came in the door with this great big plate of snickerdoodles, just in case you were wondering what my favorite cookie is. Uh, here's this giant plate of cookies, and then she had to go. She had to go do some other things, so she left the plate in my hand, and she ran out the door, and immediately I uncover the cookies, and I grab a cookie, and I take a giant bite, and I could not spit out that cookie fast enough. It was the saltiest cookie I have ever had in my entire life. The saltiest thing. And so I took the cookies over to the counter, and side note, the other half of the cookie fell on the ground, and my dog ate it, and she was even like, like, this is awful. The dog wouldn't even eat it. So I put the cookies on the counter, and a couple days later, Kate came over, and she saw the cookies on the counter not eaten, and she said, what's wrong with the cookies? Because she knew me well. She knew that I can eat a whole plate of cookies in an hour. <laughs> so why would there be a whole plate of cookies on the counter that, for a couple days? And I said, well, you try one. And she went, they're salty, aren't they? And I said, yeah. She said, oh, I thought I made a mistake when I was cookie making them. I think I used an entire cup of salt instead of an entire cup of sugar, which is an easy mistake to make, right? Because they look the same. But here's what we are reminded about this story, right? Too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. That's chapter 14. Too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. That was the problem in the Corinthian church. They were letting too much of a good thing become a bad thing. And so the Apostle Paul discusses with them in chapter 14 why they need to use the spiritual gifts, which are the best thing, in a good way so that Jesus is proclaimed in your meetings. Now remember, chapter 11, Paul encouraged women to prophesy. He encouraged us in chapter 12, every single one of us, that we all have a spiritual gift and we should be using it because the body needs all of us together. In chapter 13, he told us the most excellent way to use our spiritual gifts, which is in love, not selfishly like the Corinthian church was doing, but in love for one another. And then in chapter 14, Paul is going to get very specific about the inconsistencies that were taking place in their public meetings that were causing disruptions and confusion and issues. Now, this is important. Remember back to chapter 11 when Paul was launching this entire section? And in verse 17, he said this, In the following directives... I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Chapter 14 is really the antithesis of that verse. He's going to get to what the problems were and why there was more harm than good. Now, I want to say something before we launch into this chapter. Chapter 14 is very challenging. Theologically, 
and practically, it is one of the most challenging chapters in the entire New Testament. There are things said and direction given and some particular verses in particular that are very, very challenging to comprehend throughout history. This chapter has brought division to the church and brought encouragement to the church. And so we're going to launch into this and try to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. As we look at this chapter, let me remind you how Paul started this letter. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And I'm going to start a timer for myself because our clock's not working in the back. How many of you think I need a timer? None of you. Good. Perfect. Great. All right. Let's move on. I didn't even look at your hands. I just assumed. <laughs> so here's what Paul says to begin with in the letter, right? We're to be agreeing with one another. We're to be in unity with one another. There's not to be divisions. And we're to be together in mind and in thought. Now, let me set the context of, of 1 Corinthians 14 because I think that there is something very godly and inspired by the Holy Spirit in chapter 14. And it's, chap it's verse 1 and it's verse 40. It's the first verse and it's the last verse. And they tell us about everything that's in between. Look at verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then verse 40, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Like that sums up the entire chapter. Desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, but that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And this takes me to the big takeaway for today. If you're writing in your journal, this is your big takeaway at the bottom of your journal. And it's this, Use your spiritual gift in a loving, orderly way. Use your gift. It's yours from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from him. Start using it. But use it in a loving, orderly way. Now, this is important because if we don't use our spiritual gifts in a loving, orderly way, then the church won't be edified properly. We won't be built up and encouraged properly. And we will find ourselves struggling and even unbelievers in the room might think we're crazy if we're not using the gifts of the Spirit well. And so Paul wants the church to be loving and self-disciplined so that the world can see Jesus, not ourselves. Now, let's jump in. I'm going to read some of the chapter, not all of the chapter, because we're going to bounce around in it all throughout uh, the morning. But let me read verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to read some in the second half of the chapter. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. 
But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now jump down to verse 26 with me. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, you'll notice that it seems like Paul is picking on a couple gifts in particular. Did you notice that? He's kind of picking on tongues and prophecy and interpretation of tongues. And that's most likely because those were the three gifts that were being used uh, improperly during this time. They were the three gifts as well that are the most difficult to use properly. They also are the three gifts that have the most potential when they are used for us to say, hey, look at me. Don't look at Jesus, look at me. And so Paul is going to bring some direction to this. Now I'd like to point out three major themes that I believe are essential for us to understand what God is saying. Three major themes of this chapter. And here's the first major theme that I see over and over again. And it is this, that spiritual gifts are encouraged, not discouraged. Spiritual gifts are encouraged, not discouraged. Let me show you. Verse 1, right? Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Verse 39, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, here's what we're noticing, right? Paul's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. 
He's not saying, because you're not using them right, let's just stop them altogether. Right? For instance, does everybody in the United States drive their car correctly? Well, I was, I was watching somebody else drive their car totally incorrectly the other day, so we should throw all cars out, right? And that's ludicrous. That's what Paul is saying. But some churches actually believe that. That what Paul is saying in this section is we should throw all of the spiritual gifts out. That's not true, is it? It's obvious that that's not true. He's just bringing direction and order. Now, with that in mind, what Paul is trying to discourage is selfishness. He's trying to discourage that we use our gifts for ourselves instead of for each other and for the body and for encouraging and edifying one another. And so he's just bringing direction. Because as we all know, if we don't have some good godly direction, we can go haywire in any direction, can't we? That's what Paul is doing. Now, since our spiritual gifts are encouraged, not discouraged, I have three questions for you. Three questions. Hopefully, we've got this screen, right? Yes, we do. Okay, great. Here's my three questions. Number one, do you know your spiritual gift? Like if Paul is encouraging us to use the spiritual gifts, then what do you probably need to know? What yours is. So I want to encourage you. Figure out what your spiritual gift is. Figure it out. And then number two, once you've figured out what your gift is, do you use it regularly to encourage others in the church? Are you using your gift to encourage the body of Christ? Because that's the direction that Paul gives us. It should be used to strengthen and encourage and build each other up. And then third, how are you using your gift to help the world see Jesus? Because in the end, everything we do and say and have that is given to us by God is meant to what? Point people to Jesus. So do you know what your gift is? Are you using it regularly? And how are you helping the world see Jesus? So here's the big, a big major theme. Spiritual gifts are encouraged, not discouraged. Here's the second major theme that we see in this chapter. And it's that understanding and order is required so confusion is eliminated. Okay? And we would probably say this is the largest theme in this chapter. That understanding and order is required so confusion is eliminated. Now, what Paul is stressing here is when people come together as believers, there will also be unbelievers in the room because we're all inviting people to come to believe in Jesus. And so there must be, everything we do must be understandable. Now, this is of utmost importance because our responsibility as the church is to make Jesus clear. That's our goal. That's our responsibility. It's to make Jesus and his salvation and his work on the cross and through the resurrection clear. But if they come to our meetings and we're all using our spiritual gifts in selfish ways and uncontrollably, then everything's going to be confusing. And we'll miss that the most important job of the church 
is to bring people to salvation. Now, the confusion happens when we use our gifts for ourselves instead of for the Lord. In particular, Paul says tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy were being used in a confusing way. Now, the obvious here is that if any gift was being used in a confusing way, we should reevaluate the way in which we are using it so that Jesus is exalted and people are encouraged. Now, remember, the point of the gifts is to edify the church and glorify Jesus. And this wasn't happening in their meetings. So Paul made three rules. He made three rules in this chapter. And here's the three rules, and let's talk through them really quick. Rule number one, speak in tongues to yourself and to God. Speak in tongues to yourself and to God. Look at the two verses. Verse two, well, there's several, but I'm just going to point out these two. Verse two says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Okay? You're not talking to others, so you can't edify anyone else. You're speaking to God. Verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? There'll be so much confusion in the room that they will say you're out of your mind. Now here's what's interesting. The gift of tongues is both personal and corporate. There are times in the chapter where Paul says, I pray in my understanding, with my own mind, in my own language, and there's times I pray in the Spirit, just between me and God. And there's times where I sing in the Spirit. And there's times where I sing with my mind and my understanding. And so what Paul is saying is, there's a part of the gift of tongues is where I feel edified just between me and Jesus and me and God and me and the Holy Spirit because the cross made a way for the Holy Spirit to live in me and the gift of tongues is a spiritual thing that I am doing just me and the Lord. But there's also a larger group meeting kind of gift of tongues. And that is where someone stands up in the meeting and get, starts talking in their spiritual language. When that happens, the Apostle Paul says you need to refer to rule number two. Rule number two is if you speak in tongues out loud, make sure there is an interpretation. Look at verse 27 and 28 with me. This is now the public style of the gift of tongues. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, that's a key. You're going to notice this with tongues and prophecy, one at a time, because apparently they were all doing it at the same time, and it was just totally confusing. One at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should, and catch this phrase, keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. I'll tell you why I pointed that out later. Now here's what, here's what tongues and interpretation does. When someone stands up and speaks in tongues, 
it's a direct message from God. It's like prophecy, but we need someone to interpret it for us. We need someone to tell us what God just said. And that's why Paul says, if that's going to happen, tongues and interpretation, you must do it right. Otherwise, if somebody stands up and just starts talking in tongues, none of us are edified and we don't understand what is being said. For instance, if somebody just stands up and starts talking in German, we're all like, cool, he can speak in German. Can we move on, please? Right? That's what's going to happen. And the unbeliever in the room is going to go, do these people always do this kind of confusing thing that nobody understands? Is this what being a Christian is? Some sort of confusing, weird, spiritual thing that I never really understand? Eh, I think I'm out. You see why Paul says this is really important? Now, I want to speak to something that I think is interesting about the American church. We don't see much tongues and interpretation in the American church, do we? I think there's a reason for that. And there's a cultural reason that we're not doing a biblical thing. And let me explain why. Uh, in America, we like English, don't we? In fact, if somebody starts speaking another language than English, what will we normally hear somebody say? Hey, you live in America now. Start talking English. We don't have any tolerance for other languages. But if you travel around the rest of the world, anyone who's traveled around the rest of the world, you will find something out very quickly, won't you? And that is that most people speak multiple languages. That's true outside of the United States. Most people speak their original village language, the national language, English possibly, and some other language. When I went to Africa in 93, all the kids, because they can learn so quickly, all the kids knew four languages, every one of them. That's common. But here's what else is common around the rest of the world. In order to do business, in order to talk to someone else in another village next to you, in order to talk to a new family member that doesn't speak the same language as you, in order to uh, be at peace with somebody else, you need an interpreter. Someone must be in the room with you if you go to the marketplace and you don't speak the language there and you want to buy an orange, you better hope there's an interpreter there or else you are going to pay 50 bucks for one orange because that guy's going to rip you off. So you better hope there's an interpreter there. <coughs> Alec, could you bring me my hydro flask with water in it, please? Look at this beautiful pregnant lady. Oh, man. Take my good old grandchild down there. Sit him down. So here's what's commonplace around the rest of the world. It's common around the rest of the world to use an interpreter. But we don't like that in America. We don't like that. I want you to tell me what you want quickly so we can get done with our business and I can get on with my hurry life. We don't want interpretation. So when we come into the church... We already have this preconceived notion that's a part of our culture, right? That if somebody talks in some other language other than English, they should just be quiet. That's what they should do. 
And I don't want to take the time at church or anywhere else to have to deal with somebody talking in something I don't know and then have to have it be interpreted. That's our culture, isn't it? And so as a byproduct, we have naturally excused this gift. When it may be that God wants to tell us something and do something in our midst and speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and we'll miss it because of a cultural inconsistency. Now I understand that you do different things in different cultures to clearly communicate the gospel. I get that, right? And I get that other gifts may be dormant or not used in one culture or another to allow the gospel to be clearly communicated. I'm just telling you, I think that's why tongues and interpretation is not very well used in the United States. Because we just don't like people not talking English. We don't put up with it. But in other cultures, you go somewhere else in the world where um, it's common to talk in lots of languages, there'll be tongues and interpretation in churches all the time. Ask a missionary. Ask any missionary. Have you seen a tongue and interpretation? They'll say what? Every week in church. <laughs> so rule number two, if you speak in tongues out loud, there must be an interpretation. Rule number three, one person at a time should give a word of prophecy. Now, we saw that in verses 29 through 33, that if there's, that only one at a time, each prophet should speak. And when they speak, we should all listen. And then if there's uh, something else to be added to that, another person could stand up and speak, and that person should sit down, right? They shouldn't both continue talking at the same time, because that's confusing and so paul says here's what's important prophecy but if you can't hear what's being said and the holy spirit is trying to speak something very very important to you and you can't hear that prophet speak that word then we're not doing it right because prophecy is very important folks it's awesome when God speaks directly to you through a prophet, it's one of the most profound things that happens in your life. But if it's so confusing in the room that you can't even hear that person talk to you, then what God's trying to say to you personally, or what God might be trying to say to us as the church corporately, totally gets lost. And so Paul says, one person at a time should give a word of prophecy, all under this umbrella of this major theme that understanding and order is required so confusion is eliminated. Now, the third major theme that this chapter is encouraging about spiritual gifts is that everyone is encouraged to participate. Did you notice that? Did you notice that the chapter was saying everyone was encouraged to participate? Now, I'm going to get, um, can I put on my professor hat for this last point? Anybody, hopefully nobody will be bothered by that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my professor hat and I'm going to get really specific with the text and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive really deep, okay? Okay. 
So hopefully you'll follow me. One of the things that is most important whenever we are translating God's word is context. By the way, whenever you're reading a book, even a novel or anything, context is everything. It helps you fill in the story, fill in what's going on with the characters, help you understand what's happening in that environment that the writer is communicating. So context is everything and very important when we're interpreting God's word, especially things we don't understand. Now, here's what I think is happening. Follow me if you think this is true. The context in chapter 14 is inclusive, not exclusive. Let me tell you why I think that. There are several words used in this chapter and going all the way back to chapter 11. So the entire context of this whole section, I believe, and so do many scholars, most scholars, that it's inclusive. That the Holy Spirit has poured himself out on all people, male and female, servants, everyone. But in chapter 14 specifically, look with me at the inclusive words. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 7, verse 9, verse 27, 37, and 38 all use the word anyone. Anyone can prophesy. Anyone can speak in tongues. Anyone can interpret. Anyone can use your gift. In verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 13, verse 26, use the word the one. An inclusive term, the one. It could be male or female. The one who prophesies. The one who speaks in tongues. The one who interprets. In verse 5, he used this phrase. Every one of you. It's inclusive. It's not exclusive. In verse 5 and verse 11, he used the word someone. And in verses 6 and 20, 26 and 39, he used this phrase. Brothers and sisters. Verse 31, he said, you can all prophesy. Verse 26, he said, each of you. Here's what I'm pointing out. Do you point out, you notice the inclusive language in verses all throughout chapter 14? It's everywhere. Everyone is meant and encouraged to participate. Which brings me to a big question. What the heck happened in verse 34 and verse 35? Holy mackerel, did you take a right turn and jump off the freeway? Because it seems like you're going down a freeway from chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, where you're saying everybody can be involved. And then in chapter, in in verse 34 and 35, you said, uh, women should just be quiet. (laughs) 
what in the world is going on here? Which means you and I, as biblical people, might have to do a little bit more work, right, with this verse? We might have to do a little bit more work because it seems like it's contradicting itself. Paul seems like he's contradicting himself all the way back to chapter 11 where he spends half of the chapter talking about how women should prophesy. And then he tells them to be quiet. In this chapter, he tells them over and over and over again that they can use their gifts, and then he tells them to be quiet. So what is he saying? We're going to have to dig a little bit, put on our professor cap, and figure out what's going on. So let me launch into that with a question. That is huge. This is a huge question, and I believe needs to be answered. Here's the question. It's going to go on the screen for you, and I'm, I'm going to read it with us. Is Paul referring to all women for all of time or a specific group of women who were causing a disturbance in the Corinthian church with their questions? Good question, right? Is Paul talking about this verse, all women for all of time? Or is he talking about a group of women in the Corinthian church who are causing disturbances in their meetings? Now, I'd like to begin with a couple things. And I'd like to point out a couple things that scholars believe about this section of verses that make it challenging and just walk through it together. And I'm going to start with the biggest challenge. Here's the biggest challenge with verse 34 and verse 35. We have um, many scrolls of 1 Corinthians dating back to the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, that far back, late 2nd century, but we do not have an original text of 1 Corinthians. So here's the challenge. We only have a copy where somebody copied what the original was. And now we have lots of copies. And back in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century, actually for thousands of years until we had email <laughs> and phones, nobody talked to each other. So the copyists that were copying, they didn't talk to each other. So the copyist in Jerusalem didn't talk to the copyist in Alexandria. And the copyist in Alexandria didn't talk to the copyist in Rome. They just listened to the Holy Spirit and copied the New Testament. You following me? Here's what's interesting. In about half the scrolls that we have of 1 Corinthians... Verses 34 and verse 35 are right where they are, right after verse 33. In the other half of the scrolls, they're after verse 40. Interesting. This, these two verses are in different places, in different scrolls that we have as the church. Now, here's the challenge. This does not exist anywhere else in the entire New Testament. All the rest of the entire New Testament, it's copied perfectly from Matthew to Revelation in every single book, in every single verse, in every single chapter. This is the only place where a verse we find in multiple scrolls is in a different place. 
Why? Here's what many scholars believe. It's because it was not in the original letter. It was not in the original letter. Why else would it be in different spots copied by different people? Because they weren't sure where to put it because it wasn't in the original. It's a thought. It's an idea. Another reason that this verse is challenging is because of its structure. So structurally, as I mentioned before, this verse doesn't seem to fit. What else is interesting is verse 33 if you took out verse 34 and verse 35, verse 36 seems to fit structurally and contextually and by theme much better than these two verses there. So structurally, there's a challenge. Then there's the context that we mentioned before. Contextually, these verses don't fit as well. All of the context is inclusive. Now, the challenge is the exception to the context. So contextually, everything is about inclusion in the chapter, right? But the second thing we have to realize is what's the second context of the chapter? The second context of the chapter is this, that there are people not named, by the way, because Paul is being gracious, there are people not named using the gifts inappropriately that are causing disturbances in the church with tongues, prophecy, and interpretation of tongues. So if that's the context, which it is, and there were some women that were creating confusion by standing up in the middle of meetings, asking their husbands questions across the room because men and women sat on different sides of the room, and they were creating all this chaos and confusion, which seemed totally logical to them because everybody else is creating confusion and con, then it makes sense that Paul would say, hey, why don't you sit down and wait to ask that question until you get home? If that's the context, that makes sense for this verse. And so Paul's not talking about women for all of time. He's talking about specific women in the Corinthian church. The next thing is challenges word-for-word translation. We believe in word-for-word translation of the Bible. That means that when there is a Hebrew word, we match it with the perfect English word. When there's a Greek word, we match it with the perfect English word. Now, we're assuming that that's what happened in verses 34 and verse 35. When they translated it word for word, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. We're assuming that the translators translated that, those two verses word for word, right? Then we're assuming that the translator translated all the other words in the chapter word for word that are all inclusive for women. So now we have a problem. Our word for word translation is conflicting. Unless 
what Paul is really saying is that it's just the women in the Corinthian church that I'm talking to. It's not women for all of time. If it's the reverse, then we have a serious problem with the text. If what Paul was saying here and what God was saying was that I want all women for all of time to never talk in the church, then we have an even bigger problem with the text. And that is that we have about 35 to 40 verses, starting with chapter 11 to this one, that are all translated incorrectly. Are you following me? Because what it means, if this is really what it meant, that all women should just be quiet in the church, then we got to go back to verse 2 and rewrite it. Because what verse 2 should say is, only men who speak in a tongue speak to God. Verse 3 should say, but men who prophesy speak to people for strengthening. You following me? If this one is gender inclusive, exclusive, only to women and they, they shouldn't speak in the church, then we got to go back and retranslate all the other verses to make them specific to only men can talk. So we have an even bigger challenge if we choose the theological persuasion that this is for all women for all of time. Because that means everything else has been translated incorrectly, word for word. Now we're assuming that the translators knew what they were doing, but we're also assuming that the context is that Paul is revealing this for the women in Corinth only that were causing disturbances. Last thing, and then I'll take my professor cap back off, okay? It's the Greek word, segao. The Greek word, segao, is the Greek word used throughout this chapter, and it's translated several times, but it's used several times throughout the chapter, it's translated in NIV anyway, keep silent, keep quiet, or should stop. Now this is really important because in these three references, they're referring, this word sigao is referring to different things. In verse 28, it's referring to the fact that if you are going to talk in tongues and you're not going to have a translator, you should sigao, keep quiet. The other reference, verse 30, is if you're going to prophesy and you're not going to do it one at a time, then you should sigao. You should stop. And in verse 34, it says that if women are causing a disturbance and are disturbing in this way where they're asking questions and they're husband, they're asking it and it's causing confusion, they should, sagao, keep quiet. So here's the challenge. If you're going to translate sagao in verse 35 to mean that all women for all of time should keep quiet in the church, then you also have to translate verse 28, sagao, to mean that tongues should never be used in the church for all of time. And you have to translate verse 30 to mean sagao, prophecy, should not be used in the church for all of time. See the challenge? We have some huge challenges with this verse. Now in closing, I want you to know that as a church, we have chosen 
and as a denomination, we have chosen to interpret these verses to mean that Paul was addressing a specific group of women that were causing confusion in the Corinthian church. And the reason we choose to do that is because of all the reasons we just talked about, and namely context. Because if you choose, if you choose to translate it any other way, you have to completely ignore the context in the entire chapter, in the entire section, and in the entire New Testament. So we choose to translate that, that Paul the Apostle is talking to Corinthian women who are causing disturbance, and they are meant to be quiet. By the way, that's how we translate several other verses in the New Testament that are similar. See, we believe, and we don't just believe this because it's God's Word, even though it is God's Word. We also see this practically and experientially. We believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose again and he poured out his spirit, that he did not just say, I'm only pouring out my spirit on men. I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, that would be dumb. To go and die on that cross and rise again and then say it doesn't apply to you because you're a woman. So as a church, we have chosen to say, God has chosen to pour out his spirit because Acts 2 says so on all people. This is our stance. This is our belief. And we hope that it helps us understand that better, realize it better. And we hope that it helps us take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done. It's, a, it's, it's amazing to even try to comprehend sometimes the amazing things we have in relationship with you fact that you would die on a cross and come back to life ascend to heaven to come back one day but pour out your spirit on men and women all over this planet so that everyone here would have an opportunity to believe in jesus as their savior what a miracle that is what a miracle Jesus, I pray that you would help each of us with the things that 1 Corinthians is telling us. In particular, Lord, I pray that every single one of us watching or in this room would, would realize that you have a spiritual gift. God wants to encourage you to use it. That you would help us as a church to always Send out a clear and strong and powerful message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen and that we would use our spiritual gifts to do that. And that you would empower us as a church. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now you would pour out your spirit upon us. We would be a spirit-filled church. A church full of the gifts of the spirit 
that we would have people that are beginning to operate in prophecy and other gifts to edify, that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues to edify ourselves and one another, that, Lord Jesus, there would, there would be awesome things and miracles and healings and wisdom and knowledge and all of your gifts operating amongst us as a body so that we can move forward as a church to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to Cheney, the West Plains, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, would you empower us with your spirit and with your biblical knowledge. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, hey, I thought I'd give just one quick announcement. Um, at Cheney Faith Center, we've started a podcast. Does that sound cool? We've started a podcast, and you can find our podcast on Spotify and other things that have podcasts. <laughs> um, and so Podbean and Google Podcasts and other things like that that have podcasts. But here's what I want to say. Here's, here's why the announcement. Uh, Pastor Cooper and I are going to unpack this chapter some more on our podcast this week. Like, I'm guessing you probably have a whole lot more questions from this chapter that I did not answer. That's only because there's probably a thousand more <laughs> that you can ask from this chapter. We're going we're gonna to try to answer a lot more questions that we didn't answer today in that podcast this week. So I want to encourage you to watch the podcast. The podcast will be there every week. It'll always be available to you on Wednesdays. And then you'll be able to hear more information from that podcast. The podcast will most likely be in addition to the message, but also be just about the things that are happening in our world and a cultural moment for us as a church. And so that's what the podcast is for. I hope you'll listen to it this week especially because we hope to unpack some things more with chapter 14, all right? Well, thanks for coming. Those of you online, thanks for being here. Remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.